0: Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, alright. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? What's Bob Marley One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake bringing you another solo pod as uh, Gabby is still on paternity leave, enjoying his time with baby Stella. Uh, So I will be here giving my uh, more in-depth, well-thought-out points from Miami's uh, disastrous 45-21 to loss to Duke on Saturday. Uh, so let's just hop right into it. Um, tough to know where to start with discussing this game. There's so many things to touch on. Um, so I think the, the way I want to format this is just kind of, I'll begin here just kind of discussing the game, uh, you know, basically going through the game flow uh, and chronological chronological order. And then I want to pull things back and go big picture, uh, kind of give big picture thoughts on what the issues are right now with the program in general. And, uh, you know, maybe as it pertains to this specific loss as well. Um, So jumping into the game, you know, I think I think the starting point above all else, and, and this doesn't excuse anything that happens uh, anything else that happened in this game, but the starting point with this game is the eight turnovers. Uh, that stat, eight turnovers, that's ball game right there. If uh, if Alabama turns the ball over eight times against Florida A there's a good chance Alabama is going to lose that game um, with with that type of turnover total, especially the way Miami turned it over, which gave Duke. Uh, good field position, more times than not, on those turnovers. And I think you know Duke did a good job of of making Miami pay, with I believe 31 points off those turnovers. So um, that's that stat right there, eight turnovers, you're not going to win. Period. After that game. Uh, with that being said, though, there is plenty more to get into outside of the turnovers. Um, the first thing I want to touch on uh, is, you know, look, Miami started fast. That was good. Uh, seven O lead looked like Miami was on its way to controlling things and, um, you know, winning, potentially winning a comfortable game. They really did a nice job of, uh, controlling things in the first quarter. One thing I want to touch on though, in the first quarter, and I am, I am bringing up this point in hindsight, uh, so I recognize that. But there was a fourth and one situation with six minutes left in which Miami ran the ball with Lucius Stanley. And there's two points here that I think are, are fair. Number one, I do like that Mario Cristobal is willing to be aggressive. I don't have an issue with going for it on fourth and one. Number two, um, I like that, I, I, I understand that he's trying to establish. The mentality of, hey, fourth and one, we need to be a program that can go out and get a yard to continue a drive. Um, so I do appreciate those two points. But with the benefit of hindsight, you know, at that stage in the game, uh, I believe it was like six minutes left in the first quarter. Miami's on the Duke 23-yard line. Miami's up 7 nothing. You know, in hindsight, maybe... With what we know about this team and how fragile they are, um, it might have just been best to potentially take the points and kick the field goal going up 10 0. Um, you know, I think this team, you can make the argument, is just too fragile. Where the upside of getting it is certainly intriguing and, and a good thing to attempt for most teams. But maybe with this specific team, the downside of getting stoned, you know, at the line of scrimmage and not converting uh, outweighs the upside because this team gets too deflated and the avalanche occurs. And that was potentially the first negative moment of the game for Miami. I'm not saying that sparked anything moving forward, but anytime a team like from Duke's perspective, Duke got the stop. Um, Miami had all the momentum in the first quarter up to that point and, uh, Duke got the stop and that was the starting point of them starting to, to change the momentum of that game. So, um, Later in the quarter, of course, uh, you know, at the very end of the first quarter, Miami gets it down to the Duke 40 yard line and Jalen Knighton has that disastrous fumble. And, you know, look again, looking back on it in hindsight, that turnover was essentially, you know, the sign of what this game was going to be. Um, again, Miami dominated the first quarter up to that point, um, Two drives in the first quarter ended in a deflating manner. One, a fourth down attempt was stoned. Two, a inexplicable soft fumble by Jalen Knighton. Um, and at that point, you know we've all seen it. I mean, Miami did get get back into the game in the third quarter, but um, this team has a tough time fighting through adversity. And we kind of saw that as the game played out. So Duke, you know, has some short fields thanks to turnovers, and that's when the Blue Devils really started to get confidence. And it was it's similar to the way the middle Tennessee State game played out uh, with the short field turnovers, able to get easy points off those short fields. Um, to me, the frustrating thing, from a Miami perspective, With those short field situations, look, obviously, the defense is in a very tough situation. Anytime you can force a field goal, that's a huge win in those situations. Um, But the thing that frustrated me was the approach with defending Duke quarterback Riley Leonard. We all know, we harped on it, um, Riley Leonard is a good physical running quarterback. Um, and early on in the game, it looked like the approach was having maybe Corey flag kind of in charge of spying him at times. Um, I think on the first touchdown, it looked like Corey was either just straight up out of position or he was late on the read or just didn't have the athleticism to get in position to make a stop on Riley Leonard. Um. The frustrating thing with Leonard's first two touchdowns, which were short yard short field situations was both of those touchdowns were, uh, third and goal situations. So he scored the first touchdown on third and nine, and he scored the second touchdown on third and five. So, you know, I, I was frustrated by the approach of, look, I think, Riley Leonard has to carry that offense on his back. And so I think the approach should have been, hey, we have to make anyone else on Duke's offense beat us. We just can't let Riley Leonard beat us. And um during the course of these situations, particularly inside the 10-yard line, Riley Leonard won. Um so that was frustrating to watch. Second later in the second quarter, of course, Losing Tyler Van Dyke was a was definitely a blow, and at that point in the game, it definitely looked like Miami was just trying to get to halftime, get to halftime, get everything settled down. Um, Jake threw a pick right before halftime, in which he was pressing, forcing it downfield, etc. Um, so Miami comes out of halftime; they're down seventeen to seven. And they have first possession in the second half. Jake comes out, starts hot, throws a nice 71-yard bomb to Colby Young. Did a nice job of shaking off the tackle by the Duke corner and, um, you know, running into the end zone. Miami starts to seize the momentum back. Um, Defense forces a fumble to give Miami good field position. And on the next possession, Jake finds Will Mallory for a nice catch-and-run touchdown. Um, So Miami is up 21-17. Things seem to be going their way from a uh, momentum standpoint. But then Duke counter punches. And, um, you know, Miami's up 21-17. It's time for the defense to step up. I think up until that point in the game, the defense played relatively well. Yes, the defense allowed 17 points. All of those 17 points, though, were off um, turnovers and short fields. Um, you know, w- without those situations, the defense did play well up to that point. So Miami was counting on the defense to kind of start holding it down like it had um, to that point in the game. But Duke responds with an 18 play. 79 yard touchdown drive to take a 24 21 lead. And the blue devils never looked back. Miami was punched in the mouth and they had no response after that, uh, drive. Um, you know, we all know what happened. Jake Garcia totals three picks in the game. He got sacked four times. I think he had a, I think he had a, a fumble as well. Um, You know, after those first two touchdown drives in the second half, Jake's performance was really poor. Um, Just not on the same page with the receivers. Seemed to be, um, you know, late on some reads. Um, And the troubling thing about Jake's performance is all three of his picks came when he was kept clean. Uh, He was not dealing with any pressure when he threw those balls, um, it was just simply terrible decisions and, or not being on the same page. So, you know, let's see how Jake looks. I'm assuming Tyler's going to be out for a while with his, uh, shoulder deal. So let's see how it looks with Jake getting to prepare for a full week as a starter. Can he settle down? Can he play within the offense? To me, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest question Jake has to answer. We all know he can push the ball downfield. Um, his gunslinger mentality can be good at times, but also there is value to just taking the safe throw, taking the check down, playing within the offense, um, you know, playing to fight another down. That's the next step Jake needs to make if he's going to be a starting quarterback at this level. Uh, We will see as, you know, we'll see how that goes moving forward with Jake, that development. Um, Fourth quarter, you know, the turnovers continued for Miami, of course, as we touched on. And at that point, you could just tell the defense was kind of over it. I'm not going to say they quit, but, you know, effort was lacking, tackling fell apart. Um, I would say, honestly, even the blocking by the offensive line was atrocious in the fourth quarter, Miami was allowing sacks with, with Duke only pressuring three, uh, three defensive linemen. So, and also too, in the fourth quarter, you could tell, uh, James Williams went out, I think at some point in the third quarter, some sort of lower extremity injury, maybe a, maybe a foot deal would be my guess. Um but anyways, I think it was pretty clear particularly in that fourth quarter how the defense missed James Williams significantly because the players that came in for him uh at that point in the game were not very good at all with their tackling angles with their tackling um and in general the defense just stopped swinging again, I'm not going to straight up say they quit cause that's a pretty strong accusation. Um, but the level of play certainly dipped, um, in that fourth quarter. So, you know, look again, turnovers, eight turnovers, that's kind of the whole story of the game within that, you know, you lose your starting quarterback. That's always going to be a blow. And, um, you know, Duke was the team that, was better equipped to fight through adversity. So I kind of want to have a big picture conversation now, put the Duke game to rest, um, because I think this is a tough time for fans, anyone that follows this program. And the thing that we all do, it's human nature is we want to point the finger at something, uh, you know, as a source to blame. For the issues, and I've thought a lot about this. And um, honestly, what I think about what's going on here in terms of like where do I want to point the finger and blame? I have a hard time pointing to just one thing. I think it's like anything in life, you know. It's it's rarely are issues black and white uh, where you can just point to one singular thing, fix it, and the issues are gone. But I think you can. Boil it down to three things going on with the program right now. I think number one, the players aren't talented enough to overwhelm opponents. Um, I think that's clear and obvious. We all see it, you know, when when guys give up soft fumbles or throw insanely silly picks. You know, what can be done? Um, so that's number one. But the players are not the only issue at all going on right now. Uh, the coaches certainly play a role in this as well. Um, I think all season they haven't really had the greatest feel for this team. I think coming off the bye week we started to see some, some changes made to the systems. Um, and there was some success with that. Um, but in this Duke game, there was a significant step back in the development. Um, and, and the area where it's most troubling to me in terms of the step back is blocking and tackling. You know, Mario Crist- football is a blocking and tackling sport. This is supposed to be Mario Cristobal's strength. You know, he's a former offensive lineman, former offensive line coach. Physicality is what he preaches day in and day out. And year over year, if we're just being honest, um, the tackling is maybe marginally better. So instead of being the worst power five tackling team in the country, Miami's like in the bottom five power five wise in tackling Um, the pass blocking. That was the worst performance of the season um, in the pass blocking phase. And honestly, the run blocking—I mean, if if you wanted to argue that the run blocking is worse year over year, right now I would not push back on that. That has dipped. Um, you know, these are supposed to be Mario Cristobal strengths in terms of development, physicality, and toughness. And in this Duke game, at least those things slipped. So we'll get into others. And I think the third thing that I want to touch on. Um, that is something to point the finger and blame. And this deserves a much longer conversation than I'm going to be able to provide on this podcast. Um, but I do think the culture, the lack of culture, the lack of a winning culture is a significant, significant piece to this issue going on. Um, I'll touch on that later. I I want to circle back so you know, we talked about the players, we can all debate how talented are the players, et cetera, et cetera. The bottom line is they're not talent they're not talented enough to overwhelm lesser opponents. I do think Miami's roster is more ta- talented than Duke. I do think Miami's roster is more talented than middle Tennessee State. Um, and so that goes back to the coaching failures. um. You know, while Miami is not overly talented, they are still more talented than those two teams. It's not even close. Why the coaches are unable to put together game plans that allow Miami to be competitive against these lesser type of teams is troubling. Um, against middle, my biggest issue with the coaching in these two games, Middle Tennessee State and Duke, um, Miami staff particularly on defense failed to take away what middle tennis, what each team wants to do most. So middle Tennessee state air raid offense, um, you know, Miami's, I mean, the basic approach to defending an air raid offense is you zone them up cloud coverages, whatever, cover two shell, whatever you want to do. Um, Miami did not do that, and Miami got bombed up for four explosive plays, uh, game over. Against Duke, um, the defense was unable to take away quarterback Riley Leonard with what he does best in the red zone, which is being a physical runner. Um, We touched on this. The approach needed to be make Riley Leonard throw the ball in the red zone, make Riley Leonard hand the ball off to the running back in the red zone. Instead it was QB runs all day long and he would eventually find his way into the end zone. So you let those two teams do what they do best offensively. That's frustrating to watch offensively. You know, there's just been no rhythm all year. Um, offensively, um, you know, the passing game came alive the last two weeks, but there has the, that came, I guess, at the expense of the run game for some reason. There's just been no balance either way. When the run game was going, the pass game was sputtering. When the pass game was going, the run game was sputtering. Um, you know, and I do have some concerns about Josh Gaddis's ability to connect with the players. I do think it's worth watching moving forward how much are these players going to play for Josh Gaddis that's just something to monitor moving forward um you know and then the turnovers look the players at the end of the day the players have to execute the coaches can't coaches don't have much to do with turnovers but what I do have an issue with is you know it's 11 to 2 margin against Duke and Tennessee middle Tennessee state in the turnover department. And, you know, if, if a lot of the same guys are still having turnover issues, why are they still playing? Um, I'll leave it at that. I also think too, it just took way too long for this staff to get a good self scout of this team, what their strengths, what their weaknesses are. Um, And, you know, they put themselves in a bad position because they didn't have the greatest understanding of their personnel. But to me, you know, with all that being said, look, the players are at fault. The coaches are at fault. To me, the biggest issue with this program, though, is bigger than that. To me, the biggest issue with this program is cultural. Uh, You know, over the course of the last 15 years, this program and the players have, have come and gone. Um, and, and just been too accepting of losing. This program has dipped, Um, you know, for the most part with each regime. There was a little bit of a bump there with Mark Richt. But overall, the program just continues to, to decline and get further and further and further away from having a win-at-all-cost mentality that defined the program. From, you know, 2000 to 2003, 2004, the 80s, the 90s, um, you know, when, when I was a student, um, which was on the backside of the 2000 dynasty. So, you know, 2003, you know, I, I remember uh, being in the locker room after those losses and, you know, you could feel the anger. Amongst the players, you could feel that it was not acceptable to lose a game. And I feel like now, you know, guys are coming into a program that's basically averaging five losses a year. And unfortunately, the culture is too accepting of that mediocrity. And I'm not talking down on any players in particular, they're all good guys. And honestly, partially, it's really not their fault because they don't know any better. It's just been a constant cycle of losing and mediocrity. Um, you know, I've been told that after these losses, there are guys that get mad in the locker room after losses, really mad. Um, but then those same players goof off during the week on a Tuesday and Wednesday practice. And you know, at times this season, Mario Cristobal's had to stop these Tuesday and Wednesday practices and uh, let the let the team know that what's going on is not acceptable. Um, so, you know, I said this in the Instant Reaction podcast, but I still believe it. You know, this is Mario Cristobal's biggest challenge. This particular team. You know, this cultural stuff has been a 15-year issue um, that's gradually gotten worse. Um, But for this particular team, you know, for the most part, these guys are used to the way, to the Manny Diaz way of doing things. Um, and, And that's just not the type of program Mario Cristobal is going to run. And so I think there are some... Mental hurdles to clear. I think there's physical hurdles to clear. Um, you know, with the physicality of the Mario Cristobal practices and strength program, I think it does wear on guys that, you know, maybe aren't the biggest, fastest, strongest guys. You know, Mario's looking to recruit, develop a big, fast, strong, physical team. That's not really what he inherited. He inherited a finesse team. Um, and this is why I think, unfortunately, we are, of course, in rebuild mode. And this is why it's going to take a while. Talent can be upgraded fairly quickly nowadays, particularly with the portal. Coaches can come and go. I mean, that's that's whatever. Like Miami's paying coaches and uh, those guys can be replaced with good coaches um, every offseason. Culture, however, cannot be fast-tracked. And to me, that's why the top priority now has to be identifying players, whether that's in the portal or high school recruits that, of course, have the talent to get the job done, but also have the right mentality. They need to go find guys that hate losing, won't tolerate losing. Um, There are guys on the roster now that check that box, those boxes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking pervasive the whole roster has a loser mentality um but Miami needs much much more guys that hate losing will not tolerate losing will fight back in adverse situations during the course of games won't turtle when things go poorly during the course of a game because adversity is going to strike at some point and um a lot of time, a lot of times games are defined by, especially at the college level, where momentum is so big. Um, how do these college players uh, respond to adversity?, um, you know, again, going back to when I was a student in 2003, yes, the program was in decline from those 2000 to 2002 years. Um, but that team still had players that would go down swinging and fight like mad to not lose. They had a humongous comeback win over Florida early in that season. Uh, They had a tight game in the fourth quarter against West Virginia, where they had the scratch and claw to win that game. That team then went on to uh, lose two straight games against Virginia Tech and Tennessee. And that is when, you know, an infamous speech was given uh, after that Tennessee game in the locker room about how, you know, losing, you know, a player as a soldier. And uh, it was that type of mentality of this is not what the University of Miami is about. The University of Miami is not about accepting losing. Uh, The University of Miami um, is about winning and uh, being a winner. And uh, you're not going to win every game, but you have to go down swinging and when the other team counter punches you need to come back swinging at them um unfortunately Mario Cristobal is charged with changing the culture i think he is surprised that the culture is at this point um but it is what it is he knows what a real he knows what a championship culture looks like Um, Again, unfortunately, though, culture is not something that can be changed in the course of one season, Um, especially when you're going from a dramatic change like Manny Diaz, the way he wants to do it. And look, the way Manny Diaz wants to do it, it can work too. I'm I'm not a guy that thinks there's only one way to build a championship culture. Um, but the Mario Cristobal way of culture is much different than this Manny Diaz way. And quite frankly, the Mario Cristobal way is the Miami hurricanes way. So it's just going to take time to establish, um, again, in my opinion, the rest of this season needs to be about, you know, finding out what you got on this roster, um, Give young guys opportunities. If older, if, if there's guys that aren't up for this fight, you know, tell them you'll help them find their next landing spot in the portal. The portal is not only a good thing for talent acquisition. It's also a good thing for getting your culture right. And if you got, if you got guys on your roster that aren't cultural fits anymore, there's nothing wrong with, with letting them pursue their careers at other places. So. Kind of ranting, solo pod. Um, hopefully, all that made sense to you. That's my read on things right now. Look, again, we all want to point the finger at one specific thing it's the players, it's the coaches. You know, we want to get in the weeds on schemes and all that good stuff. And I'm here for it. I love football. I love all that stuff. I'm here for all that discussion. But to me, the number one issue is the culture uh and until that starts to trend in the right direction all this frustrating stuff of losing to Middle Tennessee State and Duke it's going to continue so um i think that's Mario Cristobal's biggest challenge moving forward and uh i do think he can get it right in the long run unfortunately it's just going to take time So I'll leave it at that. Till next time, take care.